Very happy to be able to welcome in Al Bat this morning. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Dwayne. I've been uh, fooling while I was waiting. I I, I spoke at uh, Ag Summit, it's called. It's a wonderful uh, gathering of uh, ag-related businesses and farmers and things. And one of the, the fellows there that I, I know a little bit gave me a... A knife. It's a, a Swiss Army knife. I don't think it's a, a you know a real Swiss Army knife, but it's just like a Swiss Army knife. So I've been sitting here trying to figure out what all these things. You know, I got screwdrivers and corkscrew uh-huh. and bottle opener and scissors and a couple of different saws and. So it'll take me, uh, you know, a long time just to figure out what all these things are. It's incredible what all is in there. So I'm uh, going to put this in my car so I will never have a mishap or an adventure that I will not be ready for now, thanks to this Swiss Army knife. So it was nice of them to give me that. It is a top 10 day, another top shelf Tuesday. It's a little cooler out there, but uh, boy, we forget, we forget now that it's February. It's, uh, it seems like it should be the end of March or something with the weather we've been getting. Uh, some horn larks spend the winter in southern Minnesota, but those that had migrated south begin returning to Minnesota in early February through late March. And horn larks get their names from the black feathers protruding above their heads. And it's the only lark native to North America, and I watched uh, some out in a field this morning, and they kind of creep along bare ground searching for small seeds. But you will see them on the roadsides, and when flushed into flight by a car, a horn lark looks pale with a blackish tail, so they stick out pretty good. The courteous winter weather makes me expect we will have a bountiful crop of fawns in May and June. I saw a red-tailed hawk, unable to convince myself it was anything else, perched on a utility pole. I watched crows standing on top of roadkill deer and raccoons. Uh, The crows were posing as if they were big game hunters. Three trumpeter swans flew over on my walk this morning, and Minnesota has the highest population of trumpeter swans in the lower 48 states, and there's an estimated 65,000 adult trumpeter swans now. I smelled skunk this morning. Uh, That's spring in the air. An amorous skunk has a four-square-mile territory. Great horned owls hunt them. A male skunk is called a buck, a female is called a doe. You might recall this exchange from the Mary Tyler Moore show. Lou Grant said, you got a lot of skunk. And Mary Richards said, why, thank you, Mr. Grant. And Lou Grant said, I hate skunk. I know some of you are saying, well, Lou Grant, played by Ed Hasner, never said that. He said spunk, not skunk. But I know what he meant. Uh, the presence, uh, you've probably seen this in the newspaper and on the, heard it on the news or saw it on TV, the presence of the eastern monarch butterfly population in Mexico's Oyamel fir forest this past winter was 59.3% less than the previous year, according to the most recent survey released by the World Wildlife Fund. 
uh, I think it'd be the World Wildlife Fund Mexico as part of that title. Uh, monarch butterflies occupy 0.9 hectares, 1.31 less than the 2.21 hectares in the 22-23 overwintering season. This is the first time since 2013-14 that they've occupied less than one hectare. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me th- something from the Washington Post that said a pigeon held for eight months on suspicion of spying for China has been released after Indian authorities determined it was no avian agent of espionage, but a disoriented Taiwanese racing bird that had lost its way. We get a lot of lost racing birds here show up in somebody's garage, and uh, it, bless us, nobody has ever accused one of them of being a spy for China, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, Neil Bad of Heartland saw some trumpeter swans on Trenton Lake. Uh, Rick Draper of Albert Lee said, I thoroughly enjoyed watching a herd of deer cross the bike trail at Myrie Big Island State Park close in front of me yesterday around 3 p.m., very close to I-35, so it's a good thing a long section of tall anti-deer jump fencing runs along there. There must have been 80 to 100 deer I spooked into running. They went into lower area in plain sight about a half mile away near a marsh, and then they scampered and played around in their normal behavior. It was a nice treat. John Hurd sent me a photo of a, uh, well, John says, we picked up this obelisk piece of driftwood on the shore of the Mississippi near where my ancestors crossed in 1848, and now the woodpeckers are enjoying it. So the woodpeckers are hammering on it. And uh, I, boy, yesterday, that was one of the common things of pretty much all day as I heard woodpeckers drumming. Uh, Michael Bonner said, He saw an American kestrel, and uh, he said the American kestrel was originally known in North America as a sparrowhawk. This name is misleading because it implies a connection with the Eurasian sparrowhawk, which is unrelated. The American kestrel is the smallest falcon in North America. And Michael says, as a boy in England, I used to go hunting with a guy who trained sparrowhawks. He had to get a special license from the government to kill blackbirds, which are held in reverence there, much as a robin is here. For at least 15 years, I've seen an American kestrel or his or her descendants on the same power line on County Road 25, just west of my place, on the way to Cortland. He went on to train Merlins and wrote a book about it, which I have and would like to give to someone who could use it. His name was John Loft, and he served on the committee of the British Falconers Club. The book is A Merlin for Me, written in 1999 and published by him. It's a very technical book, using terms only a falconer would know, but there has to be someone out there who would love it. Can you think of anybody? I I can think of one. You know, my Michael, I've I've lost some falconers in my life. Uh, you know, grew up uh, knowing these falconers, and a lot of them have shuffled off this mortal coil. But I know a fairly young one up in Haines, Alaska, who is an avid falconer, and perhaps he would like it. Uh, listener says, Al, how can I tell a male starling from a female? Well, when 
it, right now it's it's hard, but they are starting to get uh, their bills are yellowing and stuff. And when they get when the starlings are in breeding plumage, the base of the lower mandible is bluish or blue gray in males and pinkish in females. So it makes sense, I guess. Uh, humans are kind of that way. They're blue or blue gray in males and pinkish in females. Uh, the same listener says, what is this country's largest songbird? Oh, you know, it'd be one that hardly anybody will think of. Uh, the common raven is classified as a songbird, and it is the largest. A, uh, a text from a listener says, what is a hokum poke? And that's H-O-K-U-M-P-O-K-E, a hokum poke. And uh, when I was a boy, I'd go down and get the Sunday paper it was put in our mailbox, and I'd haul it into the barn and uh, try to help my father milk uh, milk the cows. And I was just a little fella, so I probably got in the way more than anything else. But I, I gave them hay and did what I could and cleaned up things. And my dad would put the milker on a cow and then read the Sunday comics to me. And, oh, I just reveled in that. And uh, little Abner, just I, I was tickled pink by uh, little Abner. I didn't understand a lot of it, but I thought it was really cool. And hokum poke sounds like something that might have been in little Abner. It had been a, a poke or a bag that they kept their hokum in, but that's not it. A hokum poke is a nickname for the American woodcock, also known as a timber doodle, bog sucker, mud snipe, night partridge, Labrador twister, mud bat, bog snipe, sky dancer, a pop-eyed shot dodger, I believe is one, brush snipe, and big eye. Nobody has more nicknames than this short-legged ground-dwelling bird that feeds mainly on earthworms that it catches by probing in the soil with its long prehensile bill. And the rotund little bird rocks its entire body in a, oh, a bebop shuffle, fascinating to behold. I've heard the painted bunting called a flying rainbow or a living box of crayons. I guess a timber doodle could be called the dancing dried leaves. It's just a neat little bird. But it, that is the one that is called a hokum poke. So um, feel free to call someone a hokum poke today. They won't have any idea what you're talking about and probably be offended, but um, you'll know what it means. Oh, this is a great question. I used to ask this when I was a kid. Why are tree trunks round and not square or rectangular? Well, you know, our buildings, our houses and things, is, sure, some of them are round, but most of them have kind of square or rectangular. And mine would have been, well, why isn't our school round? And there are some round schools now, but most of them back then were rectangular. Uh, why are they round? It's all about marketing, folks. Uh, fewer sharp corners make trees easier to hug. So that's the main thing. We want to, I'm a tree hugger. I want to hug tree. I talk to trees, and they're good listeners. Uh, seriously, a round or tubular shape resists the force of winds better than a flat surface of a square or rectangle. So a round shape will support the branches, and the rounded trunk will bend more easily than a flat-sided trunk. 
Uh, look at utility poles and light posts. They're round for a reason, that reason. they just uh, more wind resistant. Uh, when I was a kid, there was the, we called it the Marlin Place. And it's still the Marlin Place to me because I call farm places by the names of, like, people that lived there five families ago. It's still the Marlin Place. And they had a round barn there, and it was really neat. We'd run around in there, and my dad would always say it's hard to corner anyone in the barn. But round barns were advertised as more efficient, inexpensive, and structurally sound with a greater volume to surface ratio, which meant they used fewer materials, so they were cheaper. Uh, structural supports inside the barn weren't needed. Uh, there was more open space without posts for more storage. The problem, well, there were a number of problems. Round barns were challenging to build. They were challenging to maintain. They were hard to light and hard to ventilate. I was, uh, oh, one of my aunts and my grandma told me it's hard for the devil to hide in a round barn. My dad said it was hard for rats to hide in a round barn. But I think claims of the efficiency were overstated. Round barns have kind of gone away. But round barns were made from round trees. So um, a number of reasons that they're round. Uh did Ben Franklin really want the turkey to be our national bird? You know, not not really. The story about Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin wanting the national bird to be a turkey is a popular myth. I mean, it's everywhere. But Franklin wrote a letter to his daughter criticizing the original eagle design for the great seal, saying that it looked like a turkey. That thing looks like a turkey. Uh, for the eagles, say, no, Ben Franklin, you can probably hear him saying that. He, uh, in that letter, Franklin wrote that the bald eagle is a bird of, how do you put it, bad moral character, I believe. And he does not get his living honesty, honestly because he was too lazy to fish for himself. And because a bald eagle will steal fish from osprey and other things. Franklin noted that compared to a bald eagle, a turkey is much a much more respectable bird. And with a it's a true original native of America, and he is. Besides, he Ben thought the turkey was a little vain and silly, but it was a bird of courage, and Ben defended the honor of the turkey versus the bald eagle. But he did not propose it become one of America's most important symbols, and neither bird is officially our national bird. As far as I'm aware, we do not have a national bird. We have a national emblem, national symbol. We have a national mammal, which is the bison, but uh, neither one made it. But no, he didn't say the turkey would be better. He might have liked the turkey better, but he did not propose it. Uh, our horse, the same uh, same listener said, our uh, horse is native to North America. Ah, it's kind of like a Ben Franklin question here. I remember reading uh, something from the U.S. National Science Foundation, and it found horses had been present on the Great Plains as early as the 16th century. So they know that, but 
Horses, they said, originally came to North America, that they originally were in North America, and then they traveled across the Bering Strait into Asia and further west. And then the horses that were here in North America likely died out before the Vikings arrived on the American shores at the end of the 10th century. And it's unclear whether the Vikings brought horses to America, but the Spanish certainly did so in the 15th and 16th century. So are horses native to North America? I can give you a definite probably. It sounds like they probably were, but uh, the ones that we probably have now were brought here. So I, I hope that's a good answer. I uh, This was a note I got in the mail. Um, you remember mail? It come in the little letters, and you go down the mailbox to get it. So it was nice getting it. Sent a couple photos, and said, "How big a problem is lead for eagles?" And the photos, of course, sent were of bald eagles. The Raptor Center, which does a wonderful job at the University of Minnesota, said that over 85 percent of the bald eagles they treat there have lead in their blood. Uh, I'm going to repeat that. 85% of the bald eagles they treat have lead in their blood. Uh, Using copper ammunition is an effective and non-toxic option that ensures eagles are spared from unintended harm of the lead. So I uh, hope more and more people start using these. It just seems like the right thing to do, and we all strive to do the right things. The last thing I have here, Dwayne, how dangerous are coyotes to humans? You know, I saw a coyote on my deck right before Christmas, and it was no surprise because I'd ordered something from Acme, so it was delivered by a coyote. No, I've never seen a coyote on my deck. Have I seen them in my yard? Yeah, I sure have. I've seen them on the road, and I saw one climb a... Oh, it the wall almost looks straight up a, lo- a rocky wall along a road and how the coyote went up there it saw me in my car and it just climbed up there it was an incredible thing to see coyotes are coyotes they aren't as dangerous as potato salad and folks I love potato salad I love German potato salad but according to the CDC about 3,000 people a year die from complications related to foodborne illness. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm just thankful that not all those are from ingesting potato salad, but I'm sure some of them are. It just uh, it would seem to work out that way. Uh, coyote attacks on humans during the years of 1970 to 2015 resulted in two human deaths. Our dogs. I love dogs. Uh, Dogs kill an average of 30 to 50 people per year in the U.S. Deer car accidents cause uh, 175 to 200 fatalities. There were 19,196 homicides in this country in 2022. I I think worrying about coyotes is way down on my list. Uh, They're just, I love seeing coyotes. They work on that crew that comes out and cleans up our highways, removes some of the the things that have been hit by cars on there, so I'm happy to have them around, and I don't worry about them. You know, I, we all have a lot of things to worry about, and my mom always said, 
Ellen, we're in is like sitting on a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And I think that's, uh, it's probably, it's definitely true. So it's, don't worry about the coyotes. Uh, what is it, South Dakota or South Dakota State? One of the universities there, I believe, is still the coyotes. So they are held in honor out there and have uh, their picture on all kinds of jerseys and everything else. Well, Thanks for sitting on the front porch with Dwayne and I. Before Uh, you run away, Al, um, you were talking numbers, and we did get a a text here. I'm I'm thinking it might be a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, the question from Jennifer and Lily is, uh, when you're doing the bird counts, how do you know it's different birds and not just one bird messing with you? Boy, um, Jennifer and Lily, you always come up with a great question. Yeah, we we do. When I do the bird count, I'll go to the I'll go to like Dwayne's yard, and I'll count all the birds I see there, and then I'll go to another place a little ways away and count the birds I see there. Is it possible that the starlings move from Dwayne's yard somewhere else? Yes, but it's still. I can't count all the starlings. It's impossible for me to see all the birds there. So I can kind of take that into account. I know that I'm not double counting many things, and I'm still getting a general population count. So it, it still works out. But you are right. And then, of course, I count their legs and then divide by two to get the actual number. But <laughs> it, you have an excellent point there. And there are places where if you're on one side of the lake and you just move a little bit to the other side where I probably will not count some of the same species because there I'm pretty sure I'm seeing the same ones. But Fair enough. Uh, yep. Uh, hey, everybody, thanks for sitting on the front porch with Dwayne and I. I. You know, I hate to brag, but I have a lot of pennies. Oh, man, I got pennies. I'm no billionaire, but I found a penny goes a long way if I never spend it. And I was introduced to the world of high finance by a coffee can that became my piggy bank. I grew up with real pigs and a piggy bank that looked nothing like a pig. I spent a few months in a hospital when I was a boy, and family members, friends, and neighbors gave my parents silver dollars for me. Uh, It was a thing then, and I guess it was just supposed to mean they were thinking of me and uh, hope that it helps kind of thing. Uh, But my parents refused to sell me for that salvage price, and they put all those silver dollars into a coffee can, which was later stolen from our home, sadly. But now I toss coins into a jar. I make it rain, and the jar fills, and it's carted to the local bank, which has a fancy coin-counting machine. You know, bills promise everything, but coins promise little, but I can still make a big decision by flipping a coin. And that's a good thing. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild a day. Get out there and look at a bird. Dwayne, I enjoyed your company. You have your best day ever. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, we will talk with you next week. I look forward to it. Awesome. So do we. That is Al Bat with us Tuesdays right around 10 o'clock, uh, you know, providing there's no technical issues <laughs> like like I ran into today. So we, we flipped a few things around and, and made it work. So thanks again to Al for joining us on a Minnesota Morning on the Maverick.